Uh, For today's message, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 12 through uh, 21. Uh, If you remember during our upper room services, we take a kind of a a pause on our Genesis series. Uh, So actually next week, we'll be jumping back into our series on Genesis, and Ron will be preaching uh, on chapters uh, 10 and 11. So we're excited uh, to have Ron back with us next week. But before we jump into Philippians, let's go ahead and pray uh, for this time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and, and have some fun with the kids, to hear from your word, to sing songs of praise and worship to you, Lord. Lord, we're so thankful for the ways in which you work in our lives and help us as we see through this passage to, to live lives that, that bring honor and glory to you that we remember our our heavenly calling in Christ. We we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're kind of jumping in to the the book of Philippians, kind of toward the end. So let's kind of get a a little refresher on on what's happening through this book. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from jail. However, it's not a, a sad letter at all. In fact, one of the themes we see through this is a theme of rejoicing. It comes up over and over through this letter. Another thing that we see in this is a letter of encouragement and of warning. Of warning the things that could disrupt the church. But there was great things happening there. In the beginning of of chapter 3, Paul discusses the righteousness that we have in Christ. It doesn't come by his personal achievements, his personal successes, but only through Christ. So with all that in mind, let's go ahead and read our passage for today. Again, we're going to be reading Philippians 3, 12 through 21. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom, who I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we're going to work our way through this passage, through this going verse by verse, and then we're going to pull out some points uh, of application for us today as we study this passage from Paul. So Paul begins in verse 12, and he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or that I am already perfect. Paul here is is referring back to the beginning of chapter 3 and saying that, Remember, he made that long list of all these things. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I I was perfect according to the law. And he's worried that some amount of confusion could be made 
that, that maybe he has attained some spiritual level of perfection. But he says, look, I have not attained anything yet. He, he says, I am still working on my faith. He says, there is no state of perfection while on this earth. Paul is saying he has much to work on, which is why he goes on and he says, I, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's pressing on is this idea of pursuing after something. He is pursuing after Christ. He says, Christ laid hold of me. Remember, it was on that road to Damascus where he was out to, to persecute the church. And Christ took hold of him. He made him his own. And Paul's life from then on would be about pursuing Christ. That's where his journey began. And in verse 13, Paul restates that he has yet to arrive again at this life. But he states what he does. He has nothing but Christ on his mind. This brings to mind what he has said earlier in the chapter, where he talks about as he considers the, the things of his life, he considers all his accomplishments as rubbish. The only thing he cares about is knowing Christ. That's it. He wants to know Christ. He wants to pursue Christ. And it doesn't matter the life that he used to live as a Jew. Nothing mattered to him except knowing his Savior better. See, if people think a couple things about what this idea is of him forgetting what is behind. Some think maybe he's referencing his, sin, his past sins of persecuting the church. But I don't know if I always kind of see a line with that because he talks about his sins over and over. He's reminded of, of the life that he used to have. But what I think he lays behind is, is this, these spiritual accomplishments. All these things he mentioned earlier of being that Hebrew of Hebrews, the, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, that this persecutor of the church, he says, none of that means anything to me now. It's not my accomplishments that made me right with Christ. Instead, I look forward. I look forward toward and keeping my eyes focused on him. Because if our eyes aren't focused on Christ, if we're looking to the side or behind, we're not running our race correctly. Now, I have a story that I love to share with this idea of keeping our eyes focused on the finish line. And I have this friend who ran track in high school. Now, for the sake of if you ever run into this guy, I don't want you to think of him within this story. So we're going to call his name Rumpelstiltskin. It's just a name that popped into my head, and that's what I want to call him. So he, Rumpelstiltskin ran track for his high school. I'll give you a little hint. He had went to a high school that no longer has the same name as the high school that he attended. And he would always run the 110-meter hurdles. He was fast, very fast. And this was his senior year, and he was in the state championship, the final race, his senior year. And as he's getting in the blocks and he's ready to go, the gun goes off. And he takes off, and he's looking at the finish line, and he knows, he realizes that he's running pretty fast. He realizes that he might even be on some kind of record pace, and he can tell just by the feeling around that he is in 
first place. However, if that was just the story, it wouldn't be a, it'd be a good story. But he does one thing wrong. He realizes and, and knows he's going fast, and he wants to see kind of maybe how fast he is going. So he takes one little glance off of the finish line and the hurdles in front of him to the clock that was on the side of the track. Now, what do you think might have happened to this rumple still skin? Trip. It was the, I can't remember if it was I well, I can't remember if it was the last hurdle or the next to last hurdle where he is in the lead taking his eye off the prize, taking his eye off of the goal, hits the hurdle, stumbles and falls, and the friends that were there, they laughed. I mean, that's kind of funny. That's what you do with friends. But they, he falls and stumbles, and I think he still finished in, in third place. But he would have easily been first. He would have been champion had he just kept his eyes focused on the finish line. Instead, he looked off track and stumbled and fell. And it's the same thing as we go through our lives. We want to keep our eyes focused, focused on that prize. And as these kids were doing these jumping jacks, maybe they were getting tired. Maybe they were getting exhausted of all these jumping jacks. And maybe in the back of their mind, they were thinking, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. I can do, I can keep striving toward this goal, striving toward this prize, if I can get some ice cream. And thank goodness Kenzie won. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> for all these things they're looking for in this. And he's saying we, we keep our eyes focused on Christ. In, in verse 14, he, he repeats himself, and he says that he is again pressing on. He's pressing on toward this, now this upward call. There's this prize, this upward call that we have in Christ Jesus. He is competing for this prize. You know, it's that time of, of graduation, right? It's the time when all the, the college, the high school graduates are going to be getting in there, their caps and gowns. They're going to be coming to this ceremony for all this hard work that they've put into it. And then at some point in the ceremony, they're going to hear their name called. They're going to hear whoever's calling the name say their name, and they're going to come on stage, and they're going to receive their pride, their diploma for all the hard work that they have put in to their years in school. And it's the same thing. We go through our life, and we reach the point where we hear our heavenly call upward. And as the book of life is read, we hear our name read for in Jesus Christ, and we seek that upward calling. In verse 15, he says, let those who are mature think in this way. To, to think about these things that I am talking about here, to be mature. I, I think basically he goes on and he says, look, if anyone's thinking otherwise, he says, God's going to point out how wrong you are. I was kind of thinking of it like a, like a husband and wife. You know, we like to think we're thinking correctly. But, but then sometimes our, our wives maybe put us in a, a better state of mind where they say, you're, you're not thinking correctly. Let me tell you the right way to think about this. Some guys must be in the same boat. I had some chocolates there. All right. And he's saying, look, for those who are mature, think this way. Uh, but 
Oh, but God, if you're, if you're not thinking right, God's going to reveal it to you. And he's going to show you the mature way to go about this life. Then as he gets into verse 16, he gives us another let us. Anybody remember a little lettuce that I talked about a little while ago, talking about my goals to eat more lettuce? There you go. Alex remembers. He's like, thumbs up. But here is a different lettuce. He says, he's going to think about this. He says, if you are mature, then let you think this way. Let us think on these things. And in verse 16, he says, let us hold true to what we have attained. So the person who is thinking maturely, who is thinking on the right things, is thinking about this. The wording here, as you get into other translations, is to, to really live a, a worthy life in Christ. And to get the full picture, I think the NIV, as it says it, it says, only let us live up to what we have attained already. Let us live up to this worthy calling. The NASB puts it this way. It says, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. You see, we have attained or been given a life in Christ. And we are to live it out in a worthy manner. It's what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we're seeing here that the person who is mature is living out this worthy life. They're living out the standards that God has set for our lives. Then he's going to go on and talk about this. He's going to say, those who are mature, he's going to say, look around you. He's going to say, look around. And at first he's going to say, imitate me. He says, you want to have an example? Then look at the life that I lived when I was with you. Think, think about the life that I lived in a worthy manner before Christ. Then he's also going to talk about us. He's going to say later on, think about those that, others that are around you. In this book, he points out actually three other people to, to follow in service to Christ. He's going to point out Timothy earlier in the book. He points out Epaphroditus, and he even points out Christ himself. Think of what he says about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son and with a father he has served with me in the gospel. He says, you want to look to others to imitate. Look at the example of Timothy. He says, I have no one like him, no one who looks out for the interests of others considering others first. And then for Epaphroditus, he talks about him later on. Remember, he talks about this, and Epaphroditus heard that people were concerned for him. He was sick. They thought he was even going to die, and he was worried about the people who were worrying about him. 
and he wanted them to know that he was okay. And then even as we heard earlier from Philippians 2, with the example, ultimately, of Christ, who came here and humbly showed us the way in which we live out the calling that we have. That he didn't contain all his God. He gave these things and came as a human, as the God-man in everything that he was, and setting the example for us all, setting the example in humility. You know, as we, as we go about this, I, I talk about this same thing on Mother's Day, right? As, as the mothers set the example for their children, and we set the example, everyone in this room, for those around us. You know, it's a, kind of a, a famous story. I know I've shared it here before, but when Kenzie was little, remember, I don't remember what I was doing, but I must have been doing something bad because Kenzie said, Daddy, don't do that, because if you do that, then I'll learn to do that talk about. I mean, it must not have been very convicting because I don't remember what it was, but whatever it was, it was something that she clearly saw that she didn't want to imitate in her life. And someday, maybe in heaven, we'll figure out what that was. But until then, it's a great mystery. So maybe it was not eating veggies. Maybe that was what it was. I don't know. But think about it this way. If you want to be somebody who imitates who can be imitated. Think about your faith. What if this whole church had faith just like yours? How would the church be? What if this church had the same reading pattern as you of the Word of God? What if this church had the same prayer life as you? Would we consider ourselves somebody to be imitated? Paul makes a strong phrase here, and he says this in other places, to imitate him. He goes on to other places to say, imitate me as I follow Christ. So so Christ is the ultimate example that we follow. But we have others on this earth that we seek to follow after, to imitate, to live after, like Timothy, Epaphroditus, and ultimately, the most humble is Christ. So he goes on, and he talks about then in verse 19, he's going to give us an example of those not to follow. He says, for many of whom I have told you, and even now with tears, walk as enemies to the cross. You see, earlier he's talking about how the mature person should walk. How we should walk after Christ. And now he says, but you know what? There are others. There there are others that I share with you that bring me to tears. Who are walking this earth as enemies of Christ. He's thinking that there, he says that their end is destruction. Their end is an eternal judgment apart from Christ Jesus. He goes on and he says, look, their God is their belly. It's kind of a funny saying that we think about, but what they're saying is they're they're chasing their own selfish ambitions. Their appetite is the ways of this world. Their appetite isn't upon the things of God. They had no restraints. Some also think it could be a relation to the the Jewish dietary laws. Remember how Paul is talking about his past and all these laws and regulations that he used to follow, and he's saying all these things don't matter anymore. They're chasing after the wrong thing. They want to follow the law. They want to follow their own passions and desires. They want their pride. 
They want their self-achievements. But he says, in the end, all that will lead to is their destruction. And their problem is that they are focused not on that upward calling, but instead on the things of this earth. They're not thinking on the things of heaven, but instead on the things below, trying to please the people around them. And he's saying their, their end is destruction. He says, these are not people who we are to imitate. And then he comes in verse 20, and he says, instead, it's not these earthly things. He says, instead, but our citizenship is in heaven. Again, this upward call that we await for. Now, it's important that he kind of brings up this idea of citizenship. Because in, in Philippi, even though it was located in the area of Macedonia, they weren't under Macedonian law. They were considered a Roman colony. Philippi was often a place full of retired uh, Roman soldiers. They were under Roman law. They considered themselves not to be people of Macedonia, but to be people of Rome. And in the same way, we live here in America, but we are citizens of heaven. We have a higher calling. Now, that does not mean that we are not under the laws of America. Don't try and go speeding and then say, I am a citizen of heaven. You cannot give me a ticket. The cop might give you another ticket. I don't know. But it will be something not good. So all these things. So we still live in relation to the rules of this land. But he says there's something better that we live for. That there is a higher calling in life. And it is the upward call of Jesus Christ. To live a life that we have in him. So this is what he's laid out for us. Paul in this big section lays all these things out and through all this teaching. And then we wonder to ourselves, what does all this mean to us? Oh, I think there's kind of six things that we can see here. And the first one we, we see is that we haven't arrived. You see, there are some within Christian circles who think that we can attain some level of perfection, that we can reach some level of sinlessness. Anybody there? Just checking. All right. So, but we haven't arrived. We continue to go forth in our Christian lives, looking toward the great thing that we have in heaven. You see, cruise control is a great thing to have when you're on a highway. If you're on an open highway and there's no traffic around you and your foot gets a little tired, you put on that cruise control, maintain that speed limit, right, of the correct speed limit. Maybe. All right. And you're going along. But see, the Christian life was never meant to be lived in cruise control, just kind of cruising along in the highway. Instead, we achieve, we press on toward the goal, and that's what we see here. Number two is we press on. Finishing the race is important. There are always points when we seem tired, like those kids doing those jumping jacks. Maybe they even broke a sweat, hit those hard points in life. But you know what? They, they pressed on toward that goal. They pressed on toward the higher calling. You see, our prize hasn't been won yet. Our races are not finished. We continue to jump those hurdles, not looking to the right or left at the clock that is counting upon us. Three, we seek a mature faith. This, this goes along with not arriving. We're pressing on. Are, are we into the meat of God's word? 
Or or are we still on the milk, taking on the, the little things of His Word? Or are we understanding the deeper stuff, becoming more mature in our lives? For are we set an example? You know, we shouldn't be afraid to tell others to maybe follow our example. And that can seem almost a little prideful, but we want to be setting the example. I know I want to set the example in my family. I know I want to set the example for those that are around me. And this requires us to be in alignment with his word, to be seeking him daily, to set this true example of Christ. The fifth thing I think we see is we we watch out. And we watch out for those who we shouldn't follow. We're aware of the errors or desires that can drive us away from Christ. And we seek to not live a life that is seeking earthly pleasures, but instead that is seeking that heavenly calling. And I think that's the last thing we see here is that we remember our calling. We remember where our true home is and who it is we are to live for. Why do we come and we work in a hot parking lot on a 95-degree day? Because we have a sense of a higher calling. We have a sense that we could reach somebody. Maybe somebody came through that parking lot hurting, and they needed to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a simple hello from the flea market. However it is, Christ can use these seeds to grow faith in people's lives. Remember that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is writing in the midst of what many of us would consider a dangerous and bad place. But here he is saying, I rejoice in all these things of Christ. But you see, Paul, he will be released from this prison. But a few years later, he'll find himself in prison again. And he's going to have a much different tone upon his life. I want us to think about 2 Timothy. And as he is writing this, he has a different outlook upon his race. He has a different outlook upon the faith that he has been living out. And in verse 7, in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hence there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's reached the point now where he knows, you know what, my race is ending. And and however long after he wrote that, we know that he will be martyred for his faith. He knew that his race and his journey was complete. And he said, I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And in store was him were the words, good and faithful servant. That is what we strive for. Now, we don't always know when our end might come. But we know that we live a life in honor of Christ Jesus to win the prize. And this can be a dangerous thing. We don't compete in in a way in which works earn us anything. Our salvation is by faith alone. But we live out this world with heaven in mind. In mind of Christ's death and resurrection that we remember here today. And I want to invite the worship team to come up as we prepare for a time of remembrance of Christ. And you see, as we have this table before us, this table of the bread and the cup, we have this as a remembrance for all that Christ has done. 
It is the, the work of Christ that, that Paul reflects on as he remembers his worthy life. Now we turn to the sacrifice of Christ. And here at Faith, communion is not just for members, but it's for all believers. If you are not a believer, I'd encourage you to take the words that you've heard today to understand that you are a sinner in need of salvation and that your accomplishments and your works can never achieve the eternal reward of heaven. You need to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that you can't live, that he suffered the death that we deserve, taking on the wrath of God. He was buried in a tomb, but three days later he rose from the grave. And do not reject this message of God. Do not be those enemies of God whose end is destruction. Believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And talk with someone around you if you don't know what it means to have Christ in your life. As we pray for communion, Christ calls on us to confess our, our sins before him. For we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I want us to take a moment, be in prayer to God, and confess the areas where you have fallen short before you partake in this time of communion. Take a moment of reflection.